0: Let's grade the Indiana Pacers offseason. What have they done well? What Haven't they done well? What does that mean for their future plans? Matt Issa is going to join us to break it all down today on the Locked On Pacers podcast.
1: You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Welcome. To another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers. As always, my name is Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI. And today, we are grading the Pacers offseason so far. All the moves they have made via the draft, via trades, via signings, grading them out of 10, except for one category that we graded out of five to make the final score out of 75. A good score. I've done this exercise in the past is like 50-ish. You know, that's pretty good. That means most of your moves were you know, uh, about as expected. A perfect 10 is getting a good player and a long-term dealer, getting a part of a bargain contract. A five is, that's average. That's fine. That's good for your long-term outlook. And a zero is obviously, this is terrible. This makes no sense. Um, so Matt Issa is going to join us. He covers the NBA for a million places, wrote, has written great stories about Tyrese Halbert and Reggie Miller in the past. He's written for SB Nation, Opti Analyst, Forbes, fan-sided all over the map, and he's going to join us to grade the Pacers offseason. Let's just hop right in and get to it. Summer League is done, and the NBA is going into hibernation unless uh, one of those Harden-Lillard guys gets traded. So let's grade what the Pacers have done so far in the summer, noting that this could be... An incomplete grade. Eight topics to grade for a fun rounded score out of 75. Everybody's favorite number for grades. And joining me to talk Pacers summer grading moves. First time guest here. It's Matt Issa of, my God. Okay, let me make sure I got all this. SB Nation, Opta, Forbes, and Fansided. He did the whole summer of the quest trying to find the best players in the NBA. Matt, did I get everything? What did I miss?
1: Oh uh, Yeah, everything that matters. Um, <laughs> main part. Main part is... We need, to, we need to change first time on the Lockdown Pacers because I, I love this podcast. I, I love the work you do, Tony. So I'm excited to hand out some grades, play school in the summertime.
0: I haven't ever really been um like like grades in terms of letter grades. I feel like I'm just like making it up when it's like, oh, it could be a B plus or an A minus. Like, I feel like numerical grades are just better. Everybody knows what a number is and, and we all have yeah. different strictnesses of teachers. So that is why I prefer that. And I am also excited to hand out grades because... I have different thoughts on these now than I thought I did. And I want to start with uh, their lottery pick, Jairus Walker. And part of assessing this pick to me is not just that they picked Jairus Walker. It's that they traded from the 7th pick to the 8th pick. How thrilling. And picked up those future second rounders from the Wizards and Suns to get their guy. Uh, what did you like about that pick? What grade would you give that entire string of transactions for the
1: Pacers? Yeah, okay. So... um I'm going to be completely transparent with the audience here. I'm not a draft guy. I don't. I very rarely watch um, college basketball. I'm so consumed with the NBA, NBA history that I don't learn a lot about these guys until they start wearing NBA uniforms. With that said, this year I have made more of an effort to watch more college basketball. I actually scouted pretty thoroughly a couple of guys in this year's class. And I'm hoping to use some of this offseason to learn more about some of these upcoming guys. Now, what I do know about Jairus Walker, the theory of him in terms of like, you know, he's this uh, futuristic four, kind of like an Aaron Gordon type player with um, some passing chops, uh, the versatile defense, kind of like the, in theory, the perfect guy to pair with Miles Turner. So like just to pick himself, I I really like that. um, I have some people that I really trust who actually had him like fifth or sixth on their board. So for them to get him that far down is is another plus and then you're recouping assets on top of that and basically all you did is swap a guy who and i have like i am um, so i in my i'm a little bit biased against like the projects project players you know what i mean the guys who are just like super raw they're super tantalizing super sexy but like their floor is really low um, it's kind of like my theory, like, uh, I don't know, I wasn't that high on Shaden sharp after I watched him. I think, yeah, I hope he has a great career, but I wasn't that high on him compared to somebody like Benedict Matherin. Cause I didn't see like a, uh, as high as a floor. So the fact that they got a higher floor prospect for a, um, a raw pick, got some assets, got a guy who in theory is supposed to fit in well with what they have. That was a lot of rambling. I'm going to, we're doing out of 10 for this one, right? Yes. I'll go. Am I allowed to give point fives? Like, yeah, that's fine. That's okay, fine. okay, I'll do eight point five here.
0: Eight point five, very nice. Okay, that is similar thinking to me. So I feel like part of this exercise too also has to be, well, what would I have done, right? Because mm-hmm. if not, I can't. I'm grading on a rubric of just like what they did versus nothing. Um, when I ranked. I ranked 32 players because at the time I did that, the Pacers had four picks in the top 32. They traded out of that and ended up only having two picks in the top 32, but I still ranked 32 players. And when I did so, Jairus Walker was seventh, which was the Pacers original pick for me. My top six were Wemby, Scoot, Amen, Anthony Black, Brandon Miller, Assar Thompson. And hey, all of those guys were gone when the Pacers were up at seven. So I thought, okay, if they pick Jairus Walker, that's the best player I have left. I think he's a great fit and a better fit than potentially some of those six guys above him that I actually ranked. And so he would be a great pick. I had Taylor Hendricks eight. That would have been a fine pick too. And then they traded back from seven to eight and got potentially a fantastic second because the Phoenix sun's implosion potential is (laughs) the highest, maybe the second highest in the league. I don't know how anybody feels about Dallas right now. Um, And a wizards pick that, Look, I grew up a Wizards fan. That could be amazing, depending on what their next era looks like. So uh, good value, because you're also getting an 8th pick, obviously. And then they get Jaroslaw Walker anyway, who, by their own account, is the player they would have picked regardless. So to get my 7th ranked prospect at 8, to get two assets added to your pool for free, basically, because you were going to pick the guy anyway. And I had Bilal at 16th on my board, so no harm, no foul, and letting him go one pick above you. That's great work, right? That is getting stuff out of basically nothing, wringing the towel. The thing you—the thing we don't know, man, and I always have to say this with front office moves, is I have no idea what trade offers the Pacers had for the seventh pick or what like agreed-to prices for other awesome players were out there that involved the seventh pick. And without knowing those, it's impossible to be like, they did the absolute best thing possible, especially because they've discussed that, yeah, there was, you know, chatter about going after an established starter or, you know, just getting really good fitting players on our timeline, but the price was too high or the contract length of the player was too short. Like they've said that on the record. So we know there was some exploring there. And without knowing those, I can't grade it perfectly because you don't know what decisions they didn't make. But with the info I have, I think they did extremely well here. And Jairus, of course, had a fantastic summer league. I think that there were some avenues that were So I put nine or ten to be clear for my grade because I don't know what they didn't do. I can't. It's like it's like, is it fair to say that they don't get a ten because of that? You know, is, is that stupid? But I, I think that given the way I rank the players, getting extra assets out of it and getting the guy that I think was the best player available and the best fit left is a 10. And I, and then I put 9 or 10 because I was like, well, what if they didn't do something I would have thought would be better? But I, I feel like that's not fair because I don't know what those things are. So I kind of have to put 10. So I'm going to hedge and do what you just did with a half and put 9.5 just for that reason, even though I have no idea what they could have done because it'll never get out with like specifically they offered or could have offered for doing something else.
1: Yeah, I mean, I also kind of uh, wrongfully penalized them, you could say, for my own ignorance. And that was in the fact that I just don't know if Jaris... Like, part of the part of the thing with draft picks Like, you just don't know if yeah, Jaris right. Walker is going to be a good basketball player. So, right. like, I you know, I could talk about the theoretical thing all day. So that's why I kind of had it at 8.5. But, yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said, and I think you made a lot of good points. It's almost like you cover this team for a living. <laughs>
0: what do you think like how would you assess grading uh, when they didn't do something but they talked about it as an option like you so i always assume that you know people are like this happens a lot like a team will trade a player for any team not even just the pacers mm-hmm. for a value that's perceived like less than the public sphere and people will go that's all they got what are they thinking blah blah, blah. i'm like i don't think the front office is intentionally taking a worse offer like i think that the perception was just wrong in the public. So like without knowing what offers are out there or what a team is working with, it's so hard to do these kind of grades and stuff like that. So maybe, maybe what I just said is totally unfair and I can only judge them on what they did because none of the offers or specific parameters will ever be in the public sphere, but it, it feels like it has to be part of the discussion, especially like I wasn't, I didn't feel this way. I felt like the Pacers should be thinking long-term this summer, but some fans were like, now's the time to go for it. Trade the seventh pick, like let playoffs or it's time. So, you know, I kind of feel like if if that's how you felt, you could consider the things I just said of what they didn't do more strongly. But to me, since they chose the direction I would have taken if I was running the team, I think that I, I can't penalize them as much for that, if that makes sense. Hey, guys, short little break here so I can talk to you about FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to 2 hundred dollars that's right just bet 20 bucks and you'll land two hundred dollars in bonus bets even if you win or lose that's 200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over under to who you think is going to get the first home run all on an app that's safe secure and super easy to use plus when you win you can get paid instantly there's no better place to bet on mlb than fanduel america's number one sportsbook so sign up today and visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get up to 200 dollars in bonus bets that's fanduel.com slash locked on fanduel an official partner of major league baseball
1: no i i get that 100 i think um in general um people have this wrongful perception of front office, like executives is just like a bunch of bumbling idiots. Um, <laughs> they think, and it's like, it's always, it always happens like that. Right. When the trade happens, I mean, you, you saw it firsthand when uh, the Pacers Kings deal happened a year and a half ago or whatever it was, everyone's kind of laughing at the Kings. Like, oh ha, ha, the Kings did this again. The Kings Kings struck again, you know, with the stupidity. Kings. Um, That's
0: what everybody's Yeah, saying,
1: right? yeah, exactly. And like, <laughs> I know you're very happy about how the trade worked out. But the Kings fans are, too. I mean, it was a win-win. You know what I mean? So um I think uh, we got to watch out, like, getting caught up in the moment, understand that these people probably thought about this for a while when they make these decisions, and then they have some sort of reasoning behind them. Um It's okay to disagree with that reasoning, but they do definitely have a reasoning behind it. Um And I'm kind of with you. I'd be, I don't know, as, like, an outsider looking in, I know it's hard, like, if, if, you're, if you're a fan of the team, you see that you have this guy – was like a top 20 player in the league already, all kind of running the show. You're like, why don't we try to win right now, 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 maximize that. But like, I mean, if you guys want to change the history of mediocrity, you can't just do like a one year little retool and, and get back into that. You know what I mean? Like it's gonna it's gonna take a little bit of time. So I like that in terms of the direction, I do like the fact that they kept the pick, went with a guy like that with that kind of theoretical upside.
0: And we'll talk about him because they did something significant with him this summer, too. Let's go to their second first round pick, which this one's a little trickier for many reasons. One, because I watched Ben Shepard at the Combine, uh, where he was like one of the best players who actually scrimmaged. So, of course, my perception of him was like, oh, this guy's great. Um, I knew very little of him at Belmont outside of Zach Milner, who has a database for draft picks taking NBA threes. Ben Shepard was, I believe, fifth in three point percentage among all prospects in NBA range threes, but his defense was not considered a strong suit, all this stuff. So I didn't know a ton about him, but I knew enough to make somewhat of an informed opinion. I had seen one full Belmont game, to be clear, prior to the draft. So I had Ben Shepard ranked in my top 32, which is great because that makes it easier to talk about. I am 22nd, actually. So from a value perspective, I would say, yes, good pick. They picked the player that I thought was the 22nd best player in this draft with the 26th pick. However, unlike with Jarris where all the players above him already picked. That was not the case for me <laughs> in this draft. Uh, I rank players way differently than everybody else. Uh, my 10th best player, Gigi Jackson, was still available at 26th. My 14th best player, Colby Jones, was still available at twenty-six. My 15th best player, Leonard Miller, was still available at twenty-six. My 19th best player, Bryce Sensible, was still available at twenty-six. So I am inclined to personally ding them for what I would have done. What I would have done is pick Gigi Jackson or Colby Jones, but they still picked a player that I think is good and got positive value there, and I get picking a shooter at any pick in the draft. So it's, again, it almost feels unfair to ding them for what I would have done, but that's the point of this exercise, right? So I give this a seven. I think Ben Shepard's good. Uh, The reason also that I ding them a little bit here is they have a ton of these guard wing types on their team already with Nimhard and Matherin and Neesmith and Heald. Nimhard might just play backup one, but it's not immediately clear what shepard's path to minutes is ever it will come nba teams change like crazy like since 2018 the only pacer left is miles turner like in five years they will have maybe three or four of the guys currently on their team still on the team like there will be a path for minutes for him but i don't know what that is right now i don't expect him to play year one 26 picks don't play in year one a lot but either way like a lot of those wing guard types especially mather and neesmith are going to be presumably on the team for a while. So I give this a seven, but that is the highest I can go.
1: Yeah. Okay. So now this is where I really need to be transparent. Um, <laughs> <That's> I, <fine. laughs> where I know, I know about uh, oh, a good bit about Jairus Walker. I, I don't know that much about Ben Shepard as a player. I, I looked into him a little bit. Um, he does. Okay. I'll, I'll say this um, again, without watching really much of any of him, He does kind of remind me of Nem Harden that he's like an older guy. um, And he kind of rose up boards a little bit late in the process. Um, And I mean, if the Pacers, like, obviously they only have one example of really hitting on these older guys in recent memory, I guess you'd call Duarte. I don't know if you'd call him a hit, but, um, uh, talk about him. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, so for that, I think they deserve points. Um, I did. Okay. So, I do know a solid deal about Bryce Sensabaugh. I really like him um uh, yeah. especially at that spot. The fact that you know they didn't they didn't go with him. I got to ding them a little bit for that. Uh so know, knowing all of that, again, knowing the value, projected value of 26 overall picks, how often how not often they they tend to hit. I'll I'll go like 6.
0: Yeah, that that's a, another thing too is like if Ben Shepard is a failure of a pick since 26 pick, like that happens a lot. <laughs> that happens. like probably, oh, I'd have to do exact numbers. I'm sure there's a many uh, data study out there. Like that probably happens 60% of the time, right? Like it's mm-hmm. just how the NBA is. So that would not be surprising at all. But yeah, I thought, I mean, when I ranked him, I thought this was a good pick. Also, you want an inside look behind the curtain, listeners. My notes page, where I put all the transactions what we're talking about, I did not type draft, Shepard. I put drat. So, if you are not a fan of the Ben Shepard pick, uh, it projected onto my my Google Docs page <laughs> doing the notes for this. I think he's good. Summer League was really interesting because he had three awesome halves where it's like the vision is very clear for what his upside is, and a couple just like where is Ben Shepard kind of invisible moments. So tough to a- have anything added from that, unlike Jarius, where in Summer League you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> I immediately get that this guy is going to be active and impactful. But I think for me, I'm mean, out of 20, getting a 16 and a half in the first round is pretty good. Um, so good start. Okay, here is where you just said you have a blind spot to the draft. Do you have any opinion of their second round? They picked Mojave King from the New Zealand Breakers at 47, and they picked Isaiah Wong from Miami at 55. He's on a two way deal. King's plan not for the Pacers uh, this year. He's going to be a draft and stash. And then they picked up Oscar Shibway the rebounder, as an undrafted free agent on a two-way deal. Do you have any opinion of any of that?
1: It is can't okay to not. I can't <laughs> say I do. <laughs> cannot say I do. I, I mean, I know who Shibway is. Michigan State beat him. I was very happy about that. Um, for the listeners, I go to Michigan State University. So um, other than that, no. You
0: be saying that on a podcast. There were a lot of listeners are fans of different <laughs> Big Ten schools.
1: That's a risky game. <laughs> I mean, none of them are, I can, I doubt, well, maybe now you guys are fans of Oscar Sheepway, but before that,
0: that's true. That's
1: true. <laughs>
0: um, so for me, okay. So to get the pick to get King, they sent 32 to Denver and got 40 in that trade. And then they traded 40 to the Lakers and got an absolute ton of cash. I usually think cash trades suck. For fans, they got so much that I think it offered them some mobility in the second round. They didn't end up doing that, um, but they traded back twice. So here's what I think. I'm going to be saying some random off-the-cuff thoughts before I actually get to grading this. So they had too many picks for their roster spots. Right? They are. They were at 13 guys after after picking Walker and Shepard. They're actually at 14 guys. Like they only had one roster spot left. And so presumably anyone they picked would have gotten a two-way. They also had Kendall Brown waiting in the wings who could have been a two-way candidate. I still think he is a candidate, even though he hasn't signed anything yet. Uh, they also had the 55th pick, which could have been a two-way guy. And who knows what kind of conversations they'd already had with Sheway. But, you know, they they had a crunch of two-ways too. So lots to consider with roster spots. And so if you can't get good value trading the picks away then you kind of have to do a stash at some point. So it makes sense that with one of the picks, they're going to pick this stash guy. And if they liked Mojave King and didn't think he'd be there at 55, I understand why they picked him at 47. I have only watched Isaiah Wong play basketball once in my life before they picked him. And that was because he destroyed the Hoosiers in the NCAA tournament in the second round this season. So um, a negative perception in some ways, a positive in another, that he played well enough in that game so their second round is interesting to me because i think for fans specifically cash trades stink but if they thought they had flexibility to do more that's great they just didn't um and i get that they had to stash someone so it's unfair to ding them for for picking someone who won't be on their team this year it's just in total that their value this year from those is probably a little lower even though Having the, the stashed player to trade is important, and Awong could turn out to be something. He had a really great close to some like 24 points in their last game. Shibway can rebound like crazy and kind of struggles with a lot of defensive stuff. We'll see what he ends up being. So I I think the trading back made sense because the first round pick they got in that string of transaction from Denver could be much better, uh, like 20-ish depending on how good the Clippers are next year. So I think because you have to include that in part of the trades is the first round pick they got. I would give their second round like a seven, especially because a lot of the stuff they did, they had to do with the stashing and the two-way dancing. But at the same time, I I think they, they tried to be more creative and then they weren't able to, which is kind of confusing to say. Like it was clear to me that with the way they danced this around that they had plans of being a little more creative than they ultimately were, but they still tried. And I think that matters.
1: Yeah, okay. So I think for the sake of this exercise, I'm just gonna to default to you here. <laughs> um and now we can finally transition to, to the things that I actually know about people are listening, like, why is this guy even on? Like he's not funny. We'll get he to the NBA his, part, guys. I, saw,
0: I should have done the NBA guys first. I apologize. <laughs>
1: okay. Should have built some confidence up. At least I could have made some stuff up here at this point.
0: Uh, well, I'll give I'll let you give the same grade as me and then we can move to the the actual NBA players. Except I didn't acquire a be a player with the first offseason thing I want to talk about. And that's because this is the only thing I'm giving a perfect 10, Matt. Giving Tyrese Halliburton five years, $260 million. Don't care about the price number at all. They got five years with no player option extension for Tyrese Halliburton. That means they have a 23-year-old all-star point guard who's the only player ever to average 20 and 10 and shoot 40% from three on their team for at least six years with no way for it to be shorter than that which means also he'll be in the league for seven years after four more seasons, which means there's three chances for him to make an All-NBA team and be eligible for the next Supermax extension, which would not be possible on any other team if he's traded. And so because there's no player option, the chance he stays even longer with the Pacers has gone up. And also, he's really good (laughs) at basketball, and he's on the team for over a half decade, Uh, knock on wood if things go well, for the Pacers in the coming years. I mean, I said leading up to free agency that they could bomb their signings. They could have terrible trades. They could have a mediocre draft. If they do this, they have a good offseason, and they did it. That, I mean, <laughs> I kind of want to give them an 11 <laughs> just for the fun of the exercise, but that's a perfect 10. I mean, I have, I have nothing else to say about that. That's exactly, even if it means you have to give them the trade kicker and you have to give them the easiest possible escalators to get $260 million, that's a perfect 10 to me. They got They got the most important thing done.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, so I don't know how familiar you are with Michigan and like Michigan culture, but you know, there's nothing like a Michigan summer they say. Right. So well, 4th of July, right around the time he was signing that extension. Um, I was driving up North, my buddy, my buddy, you know, he's a casual NBA fan. He knows, obviously it plays a big role in my life. And he goes like, Hey man, like what the hell's going on? Like Tyrese Halliburton just signed for all this money. And I turned to him and I'm like, you know how good Tyrese Halliburton is <laughs> at basketball. Um, it's just like, I don't know. When I think about it, like say like Tyrese Halliburton has like an off shooting year right? he has a season where he's just not shooting the ball the way he usually does. It happens to everyone. Okay. Like think about all the other ways he can contribute to a basketball game right. with the passing, with the way he can play with pace, the way he can attack and drive and play off of playoff ball. He can, he's a big body. It's not like you're going to Trey young him and put him through like three screens and make him fall apart. Um, you know, all the defensive playmaking he can do. So like, Even if, like, worst-case scenario, the guy shoots, like, 34% one season from three just because it's just, for some reason, you know, variance. Like, there's just so many ways he can impact a basketball game. Um, Yeah, he's – I don't know how in the world Indiana is going to acquire a player this good unless they hit in the draft. Like, it's just – it's a no-brainer. 10 out of 10, he's worth every penny. Uh, Seems like he wants to be there. Um, Yeah, with you. 10 out of 10, perfect. Doesn't get any better than this. If I could have offered him more money, I would have.
0: <laughs> if he's a down shooting year, but he's still a 20 and 10 plus guy. Okay. So now his stats are Darius Garland stats or Trey mm-hmm. Young stats. Like that's still an awesome player. Um, mm-hmm. You wrote about Hal earlier this summer. I can't remember if it was late in the season or if it was in the summer, but mid, mid, yeah, midway through the season. Something that's like what that. I thought. Okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. What stood out to you about him at that time, uh, especially as it applies to the Pacers and where they're heading? Yeah. yeah. So, okay.
1: Don't get mad at me, please. <laughs> at the um at the Do well, I seem like somebody who gets mad? <laughs> I don't know. After what I'm gonna say, after what I'm gonna say, you might get mad at me. At the, oh, end, of, at the end of the 2021-22 20, season, okay, I've always been really high on this guy. Always been really high on him. I'm still really high on him. I'm still holding all my stock, and I think he's gonna have an incredible year with the Wizards. But at the end of the 22, 21, 22 season, I didn't think there was that much of a difference between Jordan Poole and Tyrese Halliburton. Didn't think so. Okay. <laughs> I mean, play styles, obviously, stylistically different, but, like, in terms of, like, impact ceiling-wise, I'm like, oh, no, pretty similar to me. I don't know why everyone's so excited about Tyrese. That was
0: after Poole's best stretch of play ever, to your yes.
1: credit. <laughs> yeah, and so the following season comes, and, you know, I'm watching, I'm watching a couple guys I respect are, like, saying Halliburton's name and then saying, like, Stephen Curry, um, and I'm like... Excuse me. So I like, you know, I go in, uh, I go in my handy, ba- handy dandy little spreadsheets, my databases. I start looking, and Serebro uh, Sports has this uh, this global search tool they have that's like really good for like historical comparisons. And I looked up Halliburton's season this past year, and the only guys, the only guys that it matched were guys. The worst player he matched was Baron Davis's All Star season. Okay, that was the worst player. The other guys, Mark Price. Steve Nash, Chris Paul, uh, James Harden, Stephen Curry. And I I start watching him more, watching him more. I'm like, he's got a little bit of everything of all those guys. Like he's got Curry's movement. When he passes the ball, he doesn't just stand there. He's moving around. He cuts immediately. He relocates for threes. He's got Harden's little uh, step back that people think is a travel, but it's not a travel because he's using (laughs) a gather step. He's got that. He's he's a great passer like Nash and Mark Price. He pushes the pace like Magic Johnson. He's the Midwest Magic Johnson. I
0: The Midwest Magic <laughs>
1: he's the, he's that's Midwest like, Magic that's,
0: Johnson. It's almost over the top, but I want to use that nickname enough that I might just let it slide. <laughs> it's a great nickname.
1: And it honestly might be true. Like he's he really is shaping up to me to be one of the best offensive players of his generation. Um what that means for this team moving forward. It's hard for me to say. Depends how they they end up building out around it. But just just think of that. Think of that, and think about where that could push you as a team moving forward if you have a guy like that. I was thinking about
0: this while driving the other day, just to, just to contextualize what Tyrese Haliburton did in his third season. If he had a game where he scored exactly twenty points and had exactly ten assists and went four of ten from deep, right? It's a really good stat line, right? Wow, must have been a great game. That was below average in all three of those stats for him last year. It's like holy cow! Like I, it, like when you just say twenty ten and forty percent, you're like yeah whatever. But then you say it like that, and you're like oh my god! Like that's a just it's he's so unique. And it's funny you said Mark Price because that has always been kind of one of my comps for him. Is just because Price was one of the first young shooter passer types back in the day. So. I think that that could be a similar career arc, although I think he's better compared to taller. He's taller and he's, longer. He say, the than height is a big part yeah. of that too. And his defensive instincts mm-hmm. are better. Price was an awful defender, even in retrospect. So that's a big difference. So easy 10 for me. That was the easiest uh, grade for me to give out. I did that one first. Uh, Bruce Brown uh, to, to quote Michael Ballone, Brucey e. B two years, 45 million bones, but the second year is a team option. Um, so basketball wise, awesome fit. They need point of attack defenders on the perimeter so bad. I think that's the biggest thing he adds to the Pacers, even beyond some of the offensive stuff. He does well. All of their off ball guards, except for Andrew Nembhard were struggling to defend last year. Aaron Neesmith guarded their best other other teams best players all the time because they needed him to do it. So great fit in that way. He also is fantastic in transition, which is where the Pacers play all the time. Second in league in transition frequency last year. He also figured out the whole corner three thing with the Nuggets last year and figured out how to play off of a star, Nikola Jokic, best passion league. And he also upped his volume from three at a credible percentage. Not a good percentage, a credible percentage. So he is. A very good fit with Rick Carlisle because he's willing to get the threes up. He's a great fit with Tyrese Auburn, and he covers the team's biggest weakness on defense, and they sacrificed absolutely zero future flexibility to get it done. And, Matt, I'll let you respond to this after I said, In my opinion, Fred VanVleet is first. Bruce Brown is the second-best free agent who changed teams this summer So all those things considered to get no future money out of it, although it could keep him if he's actually as good of a fit as I just described to get the second best player who actually changed teams. I'll throw some other names who you could consider if you want. uh, And to get a great fit like that, I gave it a nine. I think the only way it would be a 10 if it was no sticker shock on the number, but that's impossible when you get a team option on a two year deal on a guy like that. Um, But yeah, great fit, great signing. If you want other contenders for, for second best player to change teams, Dylan Brooks, Dante Di Vincenzo probably would be in that mix, but I think it's for me, this is just because I've dove into his numbers like crazy for the last couple of weeks, but I think it's Bruce Brown.
1: Yeah, I can't remember all the marquee guys who changed teams. Um I guess Not I a, and Vincent, in teams, Max Truce. Better guys can um, trade it. Yeah, Struce is great. Yeah. As well. I I probably say I would say probably right now as I think about it, Bruce Brown. But um, yeah, so I talked about this. I was actually on uh the fan the radio station. Yeah, the inter- yeah, radio station. Yeah. yeah. I was on there the other day. I talked about how I, one thing I really liked about this offseason was them doubling down on their biggest strength. And that's playing with pace. I think that's, that's one of Bruce Brown's like best features is he's like, he's got, I always, the first thing I wrote down this season about Bruce Brown in my notes, when I was watching nuggets, play I was like, this guy's so spunky. He's got so much spunk the way he plays. Um, he's so confident when he's in the open floor, he's like the most confident dude on earth when he's on the open floor. um, so, yeah, I love his, like, his, that idea. I love how he doubles down on that. He's like a second Halliburton pace pusher type. I do like the point-of-attack defense. And I just want to say this on air, recorded live. Andrew Nemhardt, incredible point-of-attack defender. I love him. I love his screen navigation. I love how economical he is with his movements. Uh, I love his length. But outside of that, yeah, it gets kind of worrisome. And you don't want Halliburton taking too many point-of-attack reps because right. – well, first of all, his greatest strength is his defensive playmaking. Second, you want to conserve his motor for the offense side of the ball. So, Bruce Brown helps with that. Um, yeah, defensively, he's like a chameleon. He can guard up, he can guard down, he can play off the ball, he can play on the ball. Uh, the shooting has improved. All that money, not really too worried about it. Like you said, there's the team option. Um, the one thing, the one thing I want to. Um, just think about i'm not really gonna ding them too much for this because i do think they can replicate some of this stuff but you have to understand the denver nuggets was like the perfect situation for bruce Brown. and so like something like fans i think get lost in is like unless you're a star player your situation can change your effectiveness drastically like if you're in a Really bad st- Like, say you put Bruce Brown on the Chicago Bulls, okay, who have like no spacing, right? I watch a lot of Bulls. Spacing sucks, okay? Um, if you put Bruce Brown on that team, he looks like a different guy than he does on the Denver Nuggets, who had great spacing. You can put him next to Jokic and Murray. And, you know, he could be like the worst shooter on the floor, and it's not a big deal. I can handle the ball, and they put the ball in his hands too, so nobody could really sag off him because he's got the ball in his hands. Um, so I do want people to like put, pump the brakes just a little bit and be like, like Pacers fans when they're like appraising his value next season. Like I'm not hundred percent sure the guy we saw in the playoffs is the guy we're going to get next year for the Pacers. Right.
0: I, I, um, Oh yeah. hundred percent.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that that was like, again, a perfect situation for, but what I will say though, is I do, I did watch some nuggets games, playoffs, regular season where he was on the floor, with Jeff Green, Christian Braun, Aaron Gordon, three guys who aren't really, you know, good shooters. And that didn't seem to uh, like he was still, you know, Bruce Brown in it up. So I don't think they need like and I do think that they can um they can replicate some of it with again they have a incredible stretch five at Miles Turner. So that'll help with spacing. I think they can replicate that. I mean Halliburton's a great shooter healed. We haven't even talked about Buddy healed yet his shooting will space the floor for Brown. So I'm rambling a lot, but I'm just saying, like, pump the brakes on thinking you're going to get Denver Nuggets playoff Bruce Brown. But I also don't think it'll be that much of a change. I like the price. I like what he does for the team stylist. I'm going to go with a
0: 9-2. Well, guess what, Matt? If he's not playoff Denver Nuggets Bruce
1: Brown, they can cut
0: bait after one year.
1: <laughs> exactly. No, that's exactly the flexibility <laughs> thing. That's another. Thing. If it wasn't for that, if this was a two-year, like, say it was a player option, like, I might I might do an 8 Oh, I would, um, if it was
0: a player option, I'd go like six, (laughs) maybe like, that's a big, yeah. yeah. So I, uh, I'm with you. I think that a lot of the the, the playoff part of it's fascinating too, because he was better than, than even the regular season, Mm -hmm. which of course the Pacers could be like, yeah, we want playoff guys, but, uh, you haven't been there yet. So it's hard to say exactly what that fit will look like. So I think he's a great fit. I do agree with you that like, he'll be less effective on offense unless Halliburton is like way better as a creator. Well, maybe even not even that. Jokic is just the perfect fit for it. like an inside out spacing for him is, is going to be better than what Halburn can provide. Um, so nine, good. We're on the same page there. Uh, the contract itself, the structure is definitely a big part of my grade. Cause so I think we'll get to the future flexibility part of this, but that matters a lot. Obi Toppin. Look, here's what I have said on this trade on this show for two weeks. Even if you think Obi Toppin is no good, terrible, no future in the league player, they gave up nothing for him they gave up the worst of their two seconds in 2028 and the worst of their two seconds in 2029 like the odds that that pick is is better than f- that both of those picks are better than 40 is so low and they got a former top 10 pick who has like a lot of times when you say a former top 10 pick it's because the player stinks and that's just like the best way to sell them but like Toppen has had good moments of like especially against the Pacers where it's like oh this guy's athleticism is crazy and it's clear how he can be a scorer and where he fits in the league. And so the price is amazing to me. To get him for that is incredible. And I think there's some element of the Knicks just being done with that, especially after that audio of him and Tibbs last year. And also, they would have been tiptoeing the tax line with their unlikely bonuses if they did the DiVincenzo contract and, and kept Obi Toppin. So they had motivation to actually deal him even if it was for pennies on the dollar pacers benefited from that he'll also fit better with the pacers because there's no Mitchell robinson and there's a better creator for him in tyrese And he'll fit well in transition so even like i probably would say i'm lower on him than most pacers fans are but i think he's a decent player and at that price and at this fit point that's a great acquisition (laughs) like it's so weird that i'm saying similar things for him and bruce brown but if for, for what they got him for especially with only one year left on his deal like I'm once again giving it a nine because of the price and fit thing.
1: Yeah, don't they? Um, we'll tie this a little bit. They get two seconds for Chris Duarte, right?
0: Too much better than they gave up seconds. Yeah, exactly. So yes. I mean,
1: even yes. if you like don't value seconds that much, you can say at least it's like you get it back for a guy you weren't using. You get a little bit more size. I know they were the problem last year is they didn't really have a four. Problem among other things. This was far from a, a great team last year. But um, the top of things, so I'll say this. Uh Knicks young players usually do get like propped up a little bit more than they should because they play for the New York Knicks. So you got to factor that in. But okay, so what I said earlier with Bruce Brown and non-star players, like, like, I'm just going to put like arbitrary numbers here. But like, if you're like a middling role player, you could, if you're on the worst situation possible, you might look like the 200th best player in the NBA. But if you're put in a really good situation, an optimal situation, you might look like the 100th best player in the league. You know what I mean? And that's like, yeah, it's a pretty solid difference. And I think that Toppin is on the opposite end of Brown, where it's like he's going from a situation that might not fit his strengths. You know, he's a he's a high flyer. He's athletic. He can run in the open floor to one. You know, that's kind of perfect for him, at least offensively. Um, and then defensively, you can make the same case because he's, you know, shadowed by a shot blocker and it's always good to play.
0: Uh,
1: it's always good to play next to a shot blocker, though. I mean, yes. is it like, you know what I mean? I know <laughs> I know the, the Pacers still have their defensive problems and that he's not going to be the one to fix it. But I mean, it's not like he's going to be, you know, whenever he gets blown by, it's just nothing back there. Um, the best thing so, he
0: offers the Pacers defensively at the four is that he is taller than six foot five.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty much it. He's taller longer than... Aaron Neesmith, yes. but, um, <laughs> yeah, so I basically, I like the offensive fit. Um, he's still young. He is very athletic. I, I could see like a world where he just looks like a lot better than he was last year. Cause he's in a better system. Um, that, but also, you know, the New York bias towards guy, I'm going to tax them guys. I'm going to tax them a little bit for that. They didn't really give up much. I'll do a nine. Let's go. We're in lockstep again.
0: That one was, uh yeah, the price made that one easier for me. Like, when I was talking to the Lockdown Knicks guys about this, they were like, yeah, maybe, like, pick 32 or pick 29. It's like, nah, how about way less? <laughs> just, just a lot less than that uh, for the former overall pick. who Again, it's not like this is, like, okay, this is an extreme example, but it's not like this is, like, Anthony Bennett, where it's like, yeah, he went one, but he was, like, legitimately a bad NBA player, like, his whole career. Like, Obi Toppin has been good at times. They tried him in the rotation to start last year. Okay. He played playoff minutes. He he didn't play playoff minutes. I think part of that leaked audio thing with him and Tibbs was not playing in a playoff game against Heat. This is the worst grade I'm going to give, Matt, and that is something you just alluded to, trading Chris Duarte to the Kings. They get the Dallas Mavericks 2028 second rounder. We talked about the Suns second rounder earlier. How about uh, the other team that could have a great second round pick in in five years, the Dallas Mavericks? And they get the Kings 2032nd. Kings have some stability now it's impossible to predict seven years out. The Mavs pick could be awful too, but either way. um, So uh, this one is interesting. So first let's talk about something that we haven't done with for any other pick or any other move they made. And that is the process that led you here, right? If you, if you did good process the whole way and it didn't work out versus if you did terrible process and it does work out, how do you grade that in retrospect? Because the Duarte pick was good and he was good his first year. And then he was rough his second year. So they're trading him at his lowest value he's ever had. Right. And if he had a good third year, I would assume his value would go up a little bit, even though he will. He does turn 27 next June. So this is certainly the lowest value he's ever had. And I said on this show, I thought I would, even though they have this log jam at the two, three, I would not have traded him for less than a like, even if it was protected like a late first, just because his contract could be valuable to them, and I believe a ton in his shooting. He was traded for two seconds instead. So that's lower value than I would have done it for. Now, the reasoning makes a lot of sense, even though the reasoning and the issue that was created for the reasoning was something the Pacers did themselves, and that's that they have way too many twos and threes, right? They have Bruce Brown, they have Ben Matherin, they have Aaron Neesmith, they have Ben Shepard, they have Andrew Nemhard. potentially. I'm missing somebody in this mix. Uh, But either way, they have a lot of... Even though yeah, I, now, I don't know four. who I just missed. Matherin, Brown, Heald, Neesmith, Shepard, Nemhard. And if Nemhard plays backup one, then TJ McConnell's not playing. So there's no – like someone, someone already right now is not playing. If Duarte was on the team, he is also maybe the guy who is not playing. And so, yeah, you can go, okay, it makes sense to trade it. I've said this. If he has less value to your team than a different team, you should get assets that make more sense to your team. Like that makes a trade make sense. And I think it does make sense. And I think the seconds could be good. And there's a chance Duarte's last year is actually predictive. And he might just not be the guy he was as a rookie. But he also could be the guy he was as a rookie. And they've acquired Neesmith, Atherin, Brown, and Nemhard all within the last. 14 months buddy healed is the guy they acquired the longest to go at duarte's position even that was february 2022 right so they've acquired all these two threes along the way and they were opportunistic smart moves but the logjam that they're clearing up they also created so that is also part of this evaluation to me um I kind of want to give this a five or a six. I don't think the value is great. I think he'll be much better with the Kings in their structured offense. I think his shot will turn a little bit. I get why they did it. The reasoning makes sense. Their team will make more sense. Their assets will make more sense going forward. Perhaps this Dallas pick could be used in some grand trade later, and then this grade would go up. But right now, I I think we can give this a five and a half.
1: Yeah, I mean, okay, so... I, I scouted uh, Duarte his rookie year. Came away like, you know, relatively impressed by him. He was great. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I thought he had a good year. I think he had a good year. You know, like a, he has some ball skills, a shooter. He's he's not a sieve on defense. You know, he's got some size, some length for the position. Um, he's got good footwork, uh, all this and that. I understand that when the Pacers drafted him, they were on kind of like a different trajectory. I mean, that was they were still like, what is it, Brogdon, Sabonis um, and uh, Turner they, Levert exactly that just core, hired core. The
0: carlisle they wanted yeah. to win with that team exactly exactly
1: now. yes correct um, oh the irony Sabonis is actually going to get to play with Duarte yes. yeah but um <laughs> so I like I maybe it's like them just like we're in this new direction you know the vibes are at all-time high let's get let's get this last little remnant of kind of what we were doing before out I understand that part um, I do understand the, the log jam. And honestly, like I'm higher on Nemhard hard than I am Duarte higher. Me I don't too. know. I don't know much about Shepard yet. Uh, I like healed more than I like Duarte. Uh, so, I mean, it makes sense. You want to play these guys. It's basically, okay. If you really like think about it, it's basically like they traded Toppin for Duarte. If you really, yeah, think you, could,
0: about you could think that way.
1: Yes. You know? And so I think like, I think
0: they would say that the seconds they got for Chris are I better was, yeah. than the ones they sent away. Yeah. But yes, that's fine.
1: Top and plus, top and yep. plus some stuff for Duarte. And I, I mean I think that makes sense. Like if you think about it, they had that log jam, the two three, um, and they needed just a bigger body and one who could play with pace. I think that top it's probably a better transition asset than um Duarte, even though I, I did I do recall Duarte having some nice little pull up threes, um, in uh, semi-transition and transition. But yeah, I'm kind of with you where this is like, I don't know. Maybe it's also them like admitting that they did the wrong thing with that pick. Once upon a time, maybe should have gone a different direction with it. I'm trying to think who was on the board at that time.
0: Uh, How about the guy I ranked six that year, Moses Moody.
1: Okay. Moses Moody. There we go. <laughs> um uh, Well, Moses Moody was there. I mean, the Sumo. I'd have to look at it. I can't remember. Yeah. It doesn't really matter, but yeah, I'll go with, um, I'll go seven, but you gave it a six. Yes. Yeah. I'll give it a five and a half. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. I'll go seven. I I think I'm a little bit, a little bit higher on it than that. I still believe so much in his
0: shooting that Mm -hmm. I think if he ends up at 38% this year, which is totally reasonable. It's only 1% better than his rookie season. Then you go, well, they traded away a decent three and D wing for two seconds, but We'll see where that actually shakes out. Perhaps I'm totally wrong there. And part of it too, for me is like, you're solving a problem that you also created. <laughs> so yeah. how much credit is, is, and you should solve the problem. If it exists, it's just, you also are the reason the problem exists. So that is every about- move of major consequence made by the Pacers this year. Unless you want to talk about like renouncing free agent rights. <laughs> I do not want to do that. So I have one more tiny thing. This one's out of five, just what's out of 75. And that is this. Now, I don't even know if you know this. So let me let me read you something. Here are the fo- Here are the only five players who currently have a guaranteed contract for the Pacers next year. Now, it's going to be more than this, but just, just hear me out. Miles Turner, Ob- uh, Jairus Walker, Tyrese Halberton, Ben Shepard, Andrew Nembhard. That's it. That is it. Just those five guys. Now, Ben Matherin's team option, 100% going to get picked up. Like, he, he, in theory, has a guaranteed contract next year. Jalen Smith has a player option. That is technically guaranteed money, although he could theoretically opt out. So either way, if you include both of those guys, they could still have like a bonkers amount of flexibility next summer again. And I think that that is intentional because that is when Hal Burton's money kicks in and you're running on less time to actually build your team up within the cap environment. I think, may, I think they made good opportunistic moves that maintain that future flexibility, and that's really hard to do. They're big on flexibility and optionality. And if they're any good this year, and Halliburton looks like an attractive guy to play with, and he has gone on the record saying he tried to help recruit Bruce Brown and DeAndre Ayton and all these guys they've gone after, having that flexibility is valuable. That is an extremely important part of the offseason to me, and I give that a five out of five because – Having space, like even if you're just taking in guys from other teams on dumps to get other assets is still valuable. And so being a decent to good team this coming year and then having that much space is going to mean a lot to them, even if cap space is kind of overrated as a thing by fans. So that is a perfect five to me to round out my list of transactions where I give the Pacers out of 75, a
1: 62,
0: which is pretty dang good in the context of a lot of other teams, NBA Summers.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you, especially because we don't know. I think that teams are kind of doing the exact opposite of what they did. They're doing the same thing, but in the opposite direction of what they did the last time. Um, Something crazy happened when we had the new TV deal. What was that? The summer 16, 2016, when like all these crazy contracts were being handed out. Um, The NBA is kind of doing the same thing now, but the opposite sense where it's like teams are like they might be overreacting to like these new like tax restrictions second apron whatnot like i think the lawyers like go pull pool a little bit too early um
0: look even Poole, like you compared to halbernaut yeah. earlier even with pools bad year i was stunned they dumped him right exactly. away like yeah right
1: no. away. So just the over so uh, like and like a couple teams have been doing that kind of overreacting by my eye so like the fact that the pacers are gonna have sexy infrastructure you know led by Halliburton's little showtime machine they have going on um and they might have like enough like open for because that's like the the new cool way to win now is like you have your two guys your two all-star all-nba guys then you have a bunch of versatility depth little chess pieces that you can pick at for different rounds and they're shaping up to have one of the two stars and then all the chess piece guys if it's you know there's Jerice Walker now. I mean, Buddy Heald, Manmohar, this super versatile Swiss Army guy who I just can't stop thinking about, talking about. You got Turner. Um, I don't if they okay if they did accept Bruce Brown's team option. How much do you know how much space they would have? Then I can
0: calculate it very quickly, but I need two hands, so I, can, I gotta put the old mic on the stand. I'm sure that'll be fun for everybody here. All right, assuming that they keep Bruce Brown and Turner. And Matherin, and then Walker, Halliburton, Shepard, Nemhard. I'll even include Smith just for funsies. That is a 111 million in salaries with a salary cap of 149 million.
1: So you, you could still, still have great. an All Star. You could still have an All Star. <laughs> still have Bruce <his> um, Brown, <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, I know. I really like it. I really like it. I know this is. We'll probably look back at this in a couple of years. This the Pacers right now. The fan base is probably. This is the, this is always, every franchise, this like part when you're here is like the, the most your fan base is going to like you because you have like all this potential. You just kind of surprised everybody you're coming and off. And no year.
0: expectations. Exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> now, like this season, there's going to be some expectations. I think yep. I'm sure people will expect a playoff appearance and, you know, maybe they'll exceed those expectations. Maybe they won't. Who knows? If I had the exact answer, I'd put some money on it. Um, but, uh, what am I even But well, Yeah, they're in a good spot. That's all I'm saying. Enough rambling for me. They're in a good spot. What did I end up giving them? I gave them a five out of five here. So what's my final score
0: below my 62. Your fun final score is a 61.5. So clearly we are, uh, skip Bayless and and Shannon Sharp with our disagreements. <laughs> You're going to get team. me
1: fired next.
0: <laughs> Wait, they're not even together anymore. Are they?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think he <sighs> skipped it. Pulled a Stephen A. He, he took a page out of his book and got him back door. Who's
0: uh, who's who's on uninterrupted now? I don't
1: know. I don't know. <laughs> That's good. That's the right answer. Seen, I don't know is the you, right answer. <laughs> have you seen um? This is like my new favorite Twitter video. It's like, hilarious. have you seen Kwame Brown, like going at Shannon Sharp? I have. On, on He's Twitter. done it multiple times, right? Like several times. Well, the, the one video of him in his car. Oh, no, no you, I don't think I've seen that. I'll send it to you. after He's tweeted at him like,
0: I thought he tweeted at him like a hundred times.
1: But, he might have, but this I one was seen like, the car video. Very hilarious. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah.
0: Those shows do well, so I'm not going to sit here and be like, what are they doing? But it's like...
1: Not as good as your show.
0: <laughs> well, regardless of that. It's like, I, I just never have met someone who's like, oh, yes, I love uninterrupted i don't know i don't i've don't, I yet to figure out who it's for in my life sphere clearly people are watching it because it's doing very well and is on tv i just in my personal bubble of the world it has not reached it yet matt this is way longer than i meant to hold you i'm sorry for that but thank you very much for the time uh, i alluded to this earlier that you cover the league for a trillion places please tell everyone where you cover the league for where they can follow you et
1: cetera easiest thing for you guys to do is follow me on twitter at issa 15 that's at m-a-t-i-s-s-a 15 um i post all my work there tweet some of my musings on life uh sometimes i'll talk about a movie or something because i like movies but um yeah it was very very fun to be on here big fan of the lockdown pacers i'm glad i could spend the afternoon with you tony
0: you're becoming quite the India me- indie media star with your uh, radio appearance and lockdown Pacers appearance. Highly recommend following Matt, and if you can dive back into his. Wait, was it 2019 or 2020 when you did the quest for? When uh, 20,
1: quest for the best 2020. But for Pacers fans, you guys should check out. I did a big thing on Reggie Miller last year. Yeah, did. Um, that's right. Blazing the trail. You guys check that out for the Pacers fans. Very
0: because, good. Yeah, the quest was Matt's um, literal quest to find the best players in the NBA, and it was very good. Um, and during COVID also was <laughs> extremely something we all needed. Uh tomorrow oh man, what day is today? I almost just said the wrong thing. Tomorrow, I believe we'll do part one of a mailbag. It's that part of the summer. I don't know what fans want to hear about heading into the rest of the offseason. We'll make it a two parter. And then next week Gonna you know, do some fun stuff looking at where the Pacers stand in the east, what their rotation could look like now. Look ahead at FIBA play for Halliburton and Tice and some other former Pacers who aren't on the team anymore that I thought I'd be talking about with FIBA play. So lots of fun stuff coming. Thank y'all a ton for hosting. Have a fantastic
1: day. See you soon.